loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today's a little bit different on Good Grief. I've asked Dawn Gross, who I'll introduce to you in just a minute, to interview me about my recently released novel, An Ocean Between Them. I'm really, really excited to share the story with you and just get a chance to talk about what the book means to me and um, who the people are in it. And as you can imagine, it's it's right in line with the theme of this show, which is how sometimes very deep losses and the hardest times in our lives can bring with them uh, a sense of meaning if we go in that direction. I'm really honored that Don agreed to be your host for today, and I want to tell you a little about her. Um, she's an MD, PhD, and she was a guest on my show March 2nd, 2016. We're lucky that we live pretty close to each other, and we've had some good lunches and great conversations, especially the one where we talked about today. And so that's bringing me a lot of excitement as we get ready for this chat. Uh, her insight and perspective really means a lot to me, and I, and I know this is going to be um, just fabulous She's she's dedicated to transforming the taboo around talking about death. She practices hospice and palliative medicine at UCSF as an MD, PhD, co-created the Death Ed for High School Students, and hosts Dying to Talk Radio, a great show. You should check that out, too. Her writing has appeared in several journals, including the New York Times, JAMA, Science, and Annals of Internal Medicine. She lives with her husband and three children and is completing her first book. Can't wait for that either. You can discover more about her at www.doctorasyouwish.com, and that's drasyouwish.com. So, Don, I'm going to put myself in your capable hands and go from there. <laughs> well, thank you, Cheryl. It is such a thrill to get to be with you again, and thank you for entrusting me to hosting you on your program. Good grief, indeed. Um, I <laughs> oh, I'm very excited start. about it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to start with um, what was an immediate question for me as I was reading your book, which is, as I've told you before, and I will say it out loud again publicly, um, just a beautiful beautiful book, a beautiful story. And is this story yours, Cheryl? (laughs) Well, it is fiction. It is not my story. But it is, I couldn't have written this novel without my story. Um, Because the process of going through, many of the details are different, but the, the process of being with someone who's very ill and parenting in that circumstance and um, being uh, two women going through that circumstance did inform the book in certain ways. And I think I, I, I've been saying to my friends, um, 
you know, I, I've been collecting experiences for a lifetime to write this book. I don't know how, how you quite write fiction at a very young age. Maybe you have to be more talented than me or something. But uh, my whole life came into play in um, carrying these characters where they wanted to go. So many authors have, have said, you know, write what you know which is what I'm hearing you share, that interwoven into the stories of the main characters, Chloe and Sal and Rhonda, I would say, are the three main characters. Mm-hmm. I um, would agree with that. There, there, there is you informing some of their choices, some of their experiences, and some of their language even. But the totality of the actual story that, is carried throughout an ocean between them is absolutely made up. Yes? Absolutely made up. And I and I would say there are certain things that I've heard authors say over my lifetime that seemed a little strange to me, like my characters told me what they wanted to say, you know, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. they became real to me and they talked to me in my head. I I, I thought that was sort of metaphoric. But what I found in writing this is that it is true that, um, yes, I have my background and I have my experiences and I have my perspective, but in writing the book, I wasn't thinking about that. I wasn't trying to make a point. I wasn't trying to express what I believe as much as tell the story that these characters wanted to tell. And, and, and then, yet, I, I would, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, I, I would huh. say that there was something that pressed you to write the story, so it's not that you didn't have a point, something Absolutely, said, that's book. absolutely yeah. true. Uh, actually, what happened is a little curious, and it, and it speaks to kind of something about me, I guess, which is that I thought it would be a good idea to write a book about Uh, my perspective. This was before the radio show or any of that. Uh, I thought that I was going to express my view in a book, a nonfiction Uh book. And I I even Uh did some interviews for the book uh, and did some writing for it. And it wasn't feeling, um, it was feeling jagged and rough and and hard. Not, um, it was not flowing, let's say. And one day I just had the idea that I was very constricted by the, by having to, um, having to tell other people's stories in a way that they would agree with, I guess. And I, I had, I had the thought, maybe I should write a novel. That's how it started. Um, so originally it was originally with the, with the, idea of that's a way that I could tell the story of of change through loss that's all I had at the beginning but but you just articulated the purpose though which is which really comes through is articulating a story sharing a story that explores what happens is it possible even to experience change specifically at a time of loss. Does loss inform that, which of course is so much of what good grief 
weekly is delving into. How does Absolutely. Do and then the curious thing is that I was almost done with a rough draft when I got offered the radio show. <laughs> and and um, which is of course the same subject in a totally different form. And mm-hmm. I quick finished it, but then it just sat there for a few years because I was doing this show. And dating. Um, what's that? I said it was gestating. It was, you know. Yeah, it was gestating, and it was it was also waiting for, um, you know, this compelling thing, this radio show, to leave enough space for it. I feel um, mm. I just couldn't do both at that moment, um, but I think it's good it waited because when I came back to it, I had a different perspective on it, and I was able to then do the editing. I think better because mm. it was so fresh. Mm. Mm. So some of the things that really strike me in the book uh, is that many perspectives, many moments of unique perspectives are shared that invite me as the reader, and I suspect others, to contemplate, huh, I wonder if I could do that. In the Mm -hmm. same vein that a how-to book might say, try this, without it being a how-to book saying, try this. Instead, because it's this very intriguing, um, immediately immersive story, as the reader, I get to envelop myself in it and and live with these characters at a safe distance, since it's a book, I can (laughs) close it. Um, while at the same time really seeing these exquisite moments of, whoa, could I do that? How could I do that? And, and you actually write the words that give me the opportunity to try some of them. Um, and I wonder, as you were writing it, were there moments where you're like, as we say in medicine, this is a teaching point. Here it is. It's unfolding <laughs> right before me. <laughs> I, you know, it was a lot more intuitive than that. <laughs> but I, I really thank you for that compliment. That's fantastic. I love that. And um, but here's how it was for me. Uh, when my when my wife died, well, even while she was still ill, you know, for those ten long years. Um, mm. I kept having these moments where I thought, I can't believe that this is the way it is to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I can't believe I feel this good. I can't believe I can handle this. You know, there were all these moments where I got very shocked by the experience I was having um, because it was not all negative. And by the time she died it was not mostly negative uh we we really took advantage of the time and um it it was not an unhappy time of my life which just completely shocked me so i think that came out in the book did you find that your family and your community around you would test you sometimes and saying, Cheryl, do you really get the gravity of what's happening here? Like, are you present? Like, what's happening? Why are you so 
<laughs> at peace with this or even happy, dare we say? Or Well, I mean, <laughs> I wasn't that way at first. So <laughs> sure. they sure. knew <laughs> they knew I had been miserable about it, you know. They kind of, I guess we had so much time. They kind of grew with us, and it and there was no evasion, Dawn. We talked about everything all the time with everybody. So yeah. there was no sense. They couldn't have gotten the sense that we weren't facing up to things because yeah. that just wasn't the case. Um, it's just that cancer didn't own everything. Right. Right. Uh, Cancer owns some things, but not everything. And and truly, in the in the relationship uh, that is shared between Chloe and Rhonda specifically, but their community as well, there is an understanding of cancer is a part of this, but it isn't the totality of it. And it's not going to ever tell us that it is, and these are my words, more important than everything else happening here. It's the part of the whole. I'm really glad that comes through because um, that's absolutely the way I see them as well. And I think that uh, there is a real impact that I see uh, in terms of um, can- the cancer experience, quote unquote, that relates yeah. to strong relationship, that has to do with strong relationship. Yeah. Um, that really, really helps a lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, some of my friends who had more challenging relationships suffered more, I feel. Um, but yeah. my wife and I didn't, we had a very, um, a strong, long connection that we'd gone through other stuff that was hard. That's that's helpful. And our particular dynamic was peaceful. Uh, you know, we, we like to work things out, not fight about them. And, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the character of the relationship helped. And, yeah. and also, she oh. was just a very larger-than-life person. I mean, the idea that she would just be a sick person was... Never going to happen. Uh, she just wasn't wired like that. So I think that also was a big factor. Mm. So as I as I reflect on some of the the ways that you crafted and shared the relationship between Chloe and Rhonda, even at its inception, but then how it really not just blossomed but grew roots so that it could weather something as profound as loss. Um, there, are, there are moments of um, can real reflection and thoughtfulness when they are maybe getting at odds with each other, mm-hmm. and then yeah. they have a ritual of how they move through that without, again, brushing anything under the carpet. And... This is in noticeable contrast to the other main character, Sal, who yes. had a much longer history of absolutely not confronting or not dealing with things that were difficult. Would you say that's an accurate, or would you say more about Sal? Completely accurate. Accurate. Completely accurate. And 
it's a very curious thing, isn't it? Um, Sal's Chloe's mom, right? Yeah. And yeah. and yet she's so remarkably different from her mom. Is she different because she just by nature was different? Is she different because yeah. she lost Sal and had to cope with that loss? You know, is she different because she came out as a lesbian and that's a that's an identity? Um, you have to think about your identity in a way that's different. Uh, is she, was she lucky to meet Rhonda? You know, there are so many different mm. ways to think about her capacity to meet cancer the way that she did in the book, which I would say is realistic and um, and life affirming. Mm-hmm. Uh that's what comes to my mind to say about her. Uh, and and Sal, her experiences and her life have told her to be uh, suspicious, judgmental, um, closed off, antisocial. And uh, to me, in a way, Sal is the center of the book because she changes mm-hmm. the most of anyone in the book. She's challenged the most to figure out what to do with this. You know what, Don? We're almost we're just, at our first break. Can you believe that? Yes. <laughs> we just have another minute Time or so. Is flying, Cheryl. <laughs> it does that, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. So so that's you know, I think I think they are remarkably different, although they are mother and daughter. Um, and so, it does have to do with the love in their lives. You know, it has to do with a lot of different factors. One of the things that I would love you to pick up on when we come back from the break is um, something you had shared with me in a prior conversation about the formation of family when coming from an LGBTQ background mm-hmm. that becomes ingrained as distinct from Sal, who her family sort of dissolved around her. And so much of the book is her recreating family for herself. Yes. I'd love to talk about that. Let's do that when we get back. And and in the meantime, listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America, including a link right at the top that you can click on and it'll take you to the novel page on my website to either read a chapter or order the book. Um, I'd love it if you go there. And if you sign up for my email, (laughs) if you sign up for my email list, you can keep up to date on book readings and and those that are just in the midst of planning at the moment. And I'll also send you a second chapter of the book if you do that. And then to find Don Gross, go to DrAsYouWish.com, DrAsYouWish.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Today's woman faces a stressful world when it comes to staying healthy. We are bombarded by media messages with contradicting ideas about fitness and nutrition. We need to keep our diet, relationships, and stress in check. It's time to get the right message and have the most fun. Join hosts Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus for Healthy View Radio. It's health and happiness in one show every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. 
Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Don Gross about my recently released book, novel, An Ocean Between Them. And so she gets to be the interviewer today. And I'm so enjoying this conversation, Don. Thank you again so much. Oh, it's my pleasure, Cheryl. And just before the break, I had, I had started a question about the, the difference that you had shared in a, in a separate conversation just with me about how the LGBTQ community, and this is a generalization, certainly, but certainly the way that it's um, referenced in this book, in the characters of Rhonda and Chloe and in their relationship, that they've had a practice, if you will, particularly Chloe, of creating family. Because when she shared with her blood family that she was a lesbian, her blood family, and particularly her mother, Sal, cut off relationships with her. And so for Chloe to continue to thrive in her life and and enjoy life, she then said, okay, well, I will still have the experience of loving people around me, sharing in my life, and this becomes my family. And that seemed, in a sense, to give great practice and strength for communities showing up when times get hard in any way, which we see with Chloe and Rhonda, but particularly Chloe with her cancer diagnosis. That's a sharp contrast to what's been happening with Sal. Yes, and I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's overstated in the book. Um, I've done some speaking about healthcare and end of life for LGBT people, QIA, and um, this is, this is a slightly better than when I came out when I was uh, 17. I'm 65 now. Um, then it was almost a given that you would be rejected in some form. Um, 
now there are parents who have more of a clue about it, are more accepting, are more loving. But the fact is that you are going to be closely involved with people who have had quite negative experiences with their families. Maybe not always quite as dramatic as Sal, who's cut her off entirely for a decade, but certainly uh, lack of love, lack of acceptance, not people you would feel like you want to put your uh, yourself into their hands in a circumstance where you're ill. That is so, yeah. so, so common. Um, and so uh, I think... I think that's an important message in general for the medical community that uh, when someone brings, maybe it should be universal when someone brings something to a, someone to an appointment, for instance, assume that person's mm-hmm. important, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever they're doing there. It's whatever important. their name or gender or age is, they're right. there for an intentional right. reason. And also that they may not, you know, Rhonda and Chloe are are fortunate in the sense that they live in an area where um, they can say, well, if you don't like us, we'll go somewhere else, right? <laughs> so right. they're pretty right. out, pretty out and proud, as it as we used to say. But in some places, you'll you're, you're going to hear that person is my friend. Yeah, and yeah. Um, there's not people are not going to take the risk of actually letting you know who they consider family to be because it's too scary. So um, I think, and then the flip side of it is my, my mother who was a very supportive person to me after the first couple of years. And we had many, many years after that uh, was very involved with the care of my wife. And after she died, she said, I've been a Christian and in church all my life, and I've never been part of such a loving community. Mm. Um, Mm. And it's true that there's a sort of in-the-trenches feeling about it. You really stand up for someone when you share the same fears uh, and the same um, difficulty in the world. There's, There's a strong bond that develops out of that. Uh, so yeah. I think and the book reflects that, that also. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely, time and again, in different scenarios. You know, some of my favorite, I'm not going to give them away. People absolutely want to read this book. But there are some moments uh, for anyone who's finding themselves in a caregiving position or or some may even experience it as a predicament, like, oh, my God, now I have to do this. Someone in my family is sick or my neighbor's sick and I have to help them and how do I keep both ends burning and people are asking me for help, etc. Again, in this sort of subtle how-to way, you have some exquisite encounters of people who really show up to help and people who really don't know how to put their best helping selves forward and they're doing the best they can. But boy, Rhonda and Chloe in this loving relationship and this authentic relationship have real skill in helping people find the way to show up for people. And it doesn't have to always look like a casserole. Um, And it's just (laughs) glorious. For sure. 
It's, and it also, I hope it came across that sometimes the person in that circumstance needs to reject help that isn't working. And it yes, doesn't mean exactly. I don't care about you. And it doesn't mean I don't like you. You know, it means I can't afford to, it takes too much energy to try to work with something that isn't of service to me. Right. Um, and again, I think there are many beautifully articulated guides to how to navigate that when you're already so fatigued and tired. You know you need help. You know the kind of help you need. Sometimes you don't know exactly what it is where you can't ask specifically, and sometimes you can. And, and all these different examples are portrayed in very real, tangible ways. So I, I just am ever grateful for all those moments. Another moment you capture brilliantly, very real, I have been on the other side of this, is the diagnosis. Mm. Hearing the language that a doctor shares when giving a serious illness diagnosis, in this case, breast cancer. Chloe is diagnosed with a very specific breast cancer. Would you do us the honor of reading this passage um, it, it actually is even more fun when one looks at the words because you are making a play on the written word in so many areas, but I would love to also hear you read it out loud. Absolutely. Um, they've gone to get the diagnosis. Um, they're not expecting, neither Rhonda nor Chloe is expecting a really bad diagnosis. She's young. You know, they're expecting like a minor little thing and go, go on. Right. Um, right. So there, this happens in the doctor's office. Her two positive infiltrating breast cancer. The words had hung on the air, sounding almost harmless. Her two positive. Chloe's mind played with the words, a favorite pastime since childhood. Her two positive, he too negative. An infiltration of anise or lavender, smelly stuff. Her too, not just me. She woke up to the fact that she hadn't heard the last few minutes of what this new, highly recommended, not warm doc was saying. She tried to come back into her body to open her ears to get there. Her ear caught the record feature. I caught her the record feature on her phone, laying on the desk, the record button pressed, saving her from her own inability to hear the words or absorb their meaning. Sometimes pregnancy hormones can trigger trigger tumor growth, so it's plausible that this has been growing since you had your kids at least two years or so, and if so, it's very aggressive. It doesn't appear to be contained, so you have to look at some awfully big options. It may or may not be useful to remove the tumor or the breast. We'll look at this a little more carefully, but for the moment, you just need to prepare yourself to move fast. I'm hoping to get you started on whatever we decide in the next few weeks. I'm sending you down right now for lab work. After he said his piece, he promptly left the room. They sat there without talking, looking at each other. It was a moment very like the moment they met, but in a completely different direction. Their lives had been changed. Life would never again look or feel the same. Now, though, they had each other to travel side by side with. Oh, thank you. I don't even want to know where you got the language for the doctor. I just <laughs> <laughs> I pray it was fiction. 
and you don't need to answer that, um, that it's just searing. It's searing to be thrust into that, into this sea of new language, unexpected and not even fully understood and, and this sort of thrusting of, and here we go. Um, and I feel the relief of the partnership between Chloe and Rhonda. You feel it immediately um, with how you conclude that moment. Yeah, I heard once that in very hard moments, you can tell how a couple's going to do by whether they come together or go apart. Yeah. And um, I think there's truth to that. Um, so that that the coming that's together a perfect segue though to Sal, right? Yes, because in a moment of a very different type of challenge, one might say. I mean, for Chloe, maybe not. She doesn't experience her being a lesbian as a challenge. It's just what's so. But in the community that we live in, to share that, it is unfortunately still perceived as a challenge, as a confrontation. And so here in that moment where Chloe and Sal are experiencing that, they separate, right? Not by Chloe's desire, but by Sal. No, by Sal's desire. Then with this new, new moment in Chloe's life, something becomes possible for Sal to bring them together. You want to talk about that without giving the whole I do. I do want to talk about that because um, I'm I'm extremely protective of Sal. And people think that's a little odd because of course she's (laughs) she's she's she doesn't start out being a friend to the gay community, let's just say, you know, quite the opposite. But but the reason I'm so I love Sal so much is that something comes along that um, that so uh, confronts her with herself that she makes the decision based on on no real experience to change. and And I find that really impactful. I'm impacted by her. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, and. And I appreciate her because she has so much further to go. Um, But what happens for her is that when she finds out, and not from Chloe because they're not speaking, but from her sister, that Chloe's sick, uh, she has a complete um, uh, breakdown, really. Um, she can't go to work, she can't eat, she can't, or she eats a lot. She, you know, she's just a total mess. And But it's a so real she, wake-up call. I mean, in that it's completely shaken her life. It didn't make it smooth or happy. But it, in that moment, had her start being aware in a way that she had you portray her in the beginning of essentially just sort of sleeping through life. I mean, just unconscious almost going through the motions. Very brittle, very bitter, very unhappy. Um, All that is true of her at the beginning. And just because she knows, just because she breaks down doesn't mean that she knows what to do next. You know, she can't just 
<laughs> she can't just, you know, turn over a new leaf or something. She has to work yeah. hard to figure out what is going on and how she's going to respond to it. And she has to develop some humility. Uh, and, and that's one of the biggest changes, I would say, in Sal, is this pointing out at the world, what have you done to me, to then transforming and really looking inside. And she doesn't do that alone, does she? She doesn't. And I think that's very hard to do alone. Uh, I think it's very difficult. I don't make assumptions about the way, the different ways people can do that work. For me, it was, you know, obviously um, a therapeutic environment is a big part of that for me. And that's why I came to that work. But uh, there are other ways to do it for sure. But I think if you're going to make that radical a change in your worldview, you need some help. Yeah. And boy, does Sal get some beautiful help. I mean, truly glorious support from a person named Lonnie. Yes. And we're almost out of time. So hopefully we'll talk a little more about Lonnie when we get back. But do you want me to just like kind of say who she is? Uh, Do a little teaser, because I think she may be inspired by you, but that's just my own personal opinion. Well, I can't write therapy totally different from how I look at therapy. So in that sense, you're absolutely right. (laughs) I think she's a a little different from me, too, of course. She's a fictional character um, as much as anyone else. But... um, Maybe she's slightly more, you know, kind of pushy, a little more pushy maybe than I sometimes (laughs) am. But in any case, she is Sal's therapist. Sal, of course, has not believed in therapy at all up until that point, but she's that desperate. So um, that's a little two-second thing on, on Lonnie Shaw. And when we get back from the break, maybe we can talk about that process a little bit more. Um, listeners, Perfect. again, you can go to the Good Grief page at Voice America to find all kinds of things, my website, my social media, uh, and a, a, a click ad for the book. And to find Don, you can go to doctorasyouwish.com. Back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent 
inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Don Gross. She's been interviewing me today for a change about my recently released novel, An Ocean Between Them. Um, and so it's back to you, Don. <laughs> Lovely character in the book, Sal's therapist, Lonnie, just before break. And, and I had inferred for listeners that some of Lonnie's skill and, and some of her language perhaps came from your own personal experience in how you have uh, assisted clients as a therapist as well as people in your community who have taught you, as we always learn from our colleagues, for sure. One of the things that I love about how Lonnie is portrayed is her patience and that Sal could feel it. And you write that, that Sal knew Lonnie wasn't judging, just super curious. And I love that you would bring this permission to be curious into all that's happening in the story of Sal and Chloe and Rhonda. I guess I, I would have that, to say, Bonnie holds that. You know, it's it's one of my favorite. Um, th- this is true of me as a therapist that I see curiosity as maybe one of the most important skills to develop when you're trying to change. Mm. Because if you're if you're uh, if you're not curious, you're probably going to be judging. Um, 
if if there isn't a big question mark, you're probably going to be making assumptions and reinventing what's already been true. So that part of Lonnie is certainly familiar from me working with clients that yeah. uh, that it takes that kind of patience. But, you know, I used to be a more patient therapist in that um, however long it takes way um, before I lived with cancer for all that time. Mm. Mm. Uh, it changed. There is it changed a, sense a lot. Of urgency. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you don't have all the time in the world. Right. So what, what happened for me is I, my statement changed to something like this. However long it takes, but I'll push you as hard as you can go. I love it. I love that. That has me reflect on another exquisite moment in the book that dances with curiosity, but not with a therapist, with a mother and her child. And while Chloe could anticipate at some point her children would start asking the big question, what about what's happening to you? What about, what does it mean to die? What is death? As parents, it's something we anticipate, period. But in the throes of what Chloe is literally living and dying with, she shares this incredible moment with one of her children. Could you read us that moment? Absolutely. And I should I should say, I don't know if it comes up in this, but they have two children and they're six months and two years when Chloe is diagnosed. And the older mm-hmm. one is the one this scene is happening with. And he's about three at the time. Right. Very wise three-year-old, I must say. <laughs> yeah, I know three-year-olds. Very curious. <laughs> very curious. Very curious. Mama C, why do you sleep so much? Quentin was big enough boy to ask to have questions, to notice that Mama C slept a lot more than Mama R did. Well, Quinn, I have a sickness that makes people really tired and I have to rest so that I have enough energy to play with you when I'm awake. Quinn didn't like baby talk or baby answers. He liked big words and grown-ups who gave him grown-up answers. He looked thoughtful for a minute. I used to nap two times a day, and now I only nap in the afternoon. Is it like that? Hmm. Well, Quinn, a little bit. You napped that much when you were little because you needed to, and I need to now. But nobody knows if I will need to forever or not. My friend Max says his mommy is sleeping forever. Is that true? Will you ever sleep forever? His mommy died. That's a little like sleeping because if you're dead, you can't talk to people or move or or play a lot, but it's different too. Don't ask me how, not yet, Chloe thought. What's the difference? They had a stethoscope up in the closet from the time Rhonda was writing about a heart attack and wanted to hear every day how a heart sounded when it beat. She sat Quentin next to her on the sofa. Once she heard his heart, she moved the earpaces to his ears. 
Did you hear that, Quinny? She said, taking the earpieces out. Again, Mama, he said, and they spent the next 15 minutes listening. That's your heartbeat, Quinn. Every person who is alive has one. But when we die, our heart doesn't beat anymore and our body doesn't work anymore. It's not like sleep because when you're dead, you won't ever wake up again. We all die. It's the way life works. Oh, he said and jumped off the couch, ready to go play, unconcerned and satisfied with the answer she had offered. Chloe thought to herself, it's not children who have trouble with things, it's grown-ups. She smiled, happy that she had been having a good day when Quinn asked. It's just, it's real, right? This is real. This is real. Kids behave this way. Yeah. Kids behave this way, and grown-ups can behave this way. Um, You know, obviously this book is fiction and most of it is made up, but that particular um, experience with the stethoscope is is an experience that I that I had with my two and a half year old. The words are different. You know, I don't remember what I said exactly for sure, but um that just worked so incredibly well, and, and I was happy it popped out uh, in the book because um, what I found is that kids are very um, capable of just hearing the truth, um, yeah. and it's a relief to them. Um, it's, it's generally a relief because they feel it, right? They, kids are so absorbent. They're feeling whatever's happening. And if no one says anything, um, then I think it leads to a sort of secretive atmosphere where they think it's not okay if they feel things and it's not okay to ask questions, you know? Um, right. So I, that, that now that the book is done, that, scene pops out for me as having a reality that that I do want to put in the world that even very small child children can understand what um, death is what life is and um, they, they can really they can absorb it they can deal with it they can and it was done in a way that spoke to exactly what the child was asking and, and answered in a way that the child could be with fully without brushing anything away, sugarcoating it, or, or even making things up. It was, it was very honest. Um, and, and I love, you know, that the child then can say, oh, and then goes on about playing, right? That's what they go do. Right. Development so does not stop. <laughs> Yeah, it yeah. keeps on going for sure. <laughs> it just keeps going. It just keeps going, and and to me that is a beautiful mirror, in a sense, of what happens with Chloe and her relationship with Sal. Right. So here's another mother-child relationship that, as you said, has an immense evolution. Immense change happens in that relationship, and particularly with Sal. 
specifically. Yes. Yes, in case people are worried, since we're getting near the end, they do find their way back to each other. Not easily or from one day to the next, but I I think their relationship at the end of the book is very, very beautiful. It's so beautiful, and, and it reminds me in its own unique way as an adult relationship as compared to a child-parent relationship. This is to adult-parent-child um, relationship, but a, a desire to still ask questions, a desire to still be together, and in a sense, a desire to still play. And, and one of the things that's near and dear to Chloe is reading her favorite books. And one of the things I think that many parents experience is a love of reading to their child and wanting to capture that sweet, sacred moment. And Sal has missed many of them. And she finds a way back to creating that again with her daughter, doesn't she? She does. And if you're wanting me to read this, I sh- it's probably kind of how we're going to end <laughs> this part yeah, about the so. reading. That'll, it's we have a good just a few minutes left, so uh, I'll go ahead yeah. with it. I, I, I love this because I love books. That's part of why I, yes. I'm glad it came out this way. So this is Sal and Chloe. They're away on vacation together, which is rather a miracle. And this, this happens on the vacation. Do you want me to read to you? Chloe took her hand away and looked Sal in the eye, almost as if she was trying to figure her out. Really? She said after what seemed like a very long time. Really? Chloe was rereading her favorite books. Sal was afraid to ask her why. Did she think she might never get a chance to read them again? They started with Mrs. Dalloway, Virginia Woolf's book. Decades ago, Sal had gotten maybe 10 pages in on her own before she gave up on it. What was Woolf talking about? But this time she read past her own resistance, suddenly noticing that the book was just a rich description of one day. Then she noticed that Sally Seaton, Mrs. Dalloway's friend, was someone she wanted to be with. Sal had not gotten that far on her own way back when. Mrs. Dalloway's exquisite torture, she loved someone she couldn't be with, affected Sal deeply this time. Sal would read until just after Chloe drifted off, breathing steady and quiet, then mark her place. She'd watch her while she slept, afraid to miss a moment. She slept maybe 15, maybe 20 minutes, when then drifted back into the room. Sal got good at noticing when she was coming around. She put her finger on the place in the book and and picked it up where it had left off, making the story continuous. She was hoping Chloe would want her to keep on reading to her when they got home. I think that scene does capture the dramatic change, not just in their relationship, but also in Sal as a person. Yeah. Dawn, I want to thank and you I, so, so much. I, we are out of time, believe it or not. It I know. So I'm hoping every <laughs> listener is going to want to keep hearing you read and that they will be able to find their way to one of your book readings, book launchings on your yes, website. I'm launching they can find this, information. I'm launching this Saturday night in Oakland. Um, and if if people want to find out where and all that, they can just reach out to me. I will get back to them immediately. Thanks again. Next week, Thank I'll have you. Kim Libertini and Robin Boyd. They're the co-founders of the Good Grief app. 
the name is a coincidence. <laughs> the app connects people in grief for mutual support. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.